0: everybody. Welcome back to New Village. New Hope, welcome back to New Village. Thank you for allowing us to come back one last time. And uh, just a couple announcements for my people. Um, we will have church tonight again at 6 o'clock. And uh, next week, we will resume at New Hope. So uh, we're very thankful that New Village has invited us for a couple weeks to join together. And uh, it's been a delight and it's been wonderful. I've looked forward to it and um, I'm very thankful for the people I've met and the people I've remet, and uh, so New Village, thank you so much for your kindness and your hospitality in having us here and allowing us to serve alongside of you. Um, uh, one other announcement, and this is for New Village and New Hope, uh, actually two other announcements. Um, the couple of people from our church are going to go down to Port Jeff after the service in the afternoon to go hand out tracts and, and uh, do some evangelism if anybody's interested, Um, either see me or or greg from our church Um, they they do that routinely every couple weeks and so today they're going down to port jeff and he did want me to um, give you that invitation if you're if you happen to be free from that uh, for that also too, in about probably and i'll get you the exact date probably the 24th or the 17th one of those of october Um, That's a Saturday night. We have what's called a Soup and Bonfire Fellowship at our church, at New Hope Baptist Church. And uh, what that is, is just makes a different soup, brings it in, and we enjoy that together. We have the fire going, we have desserts. And so if anybody from New Village would love to come to that, we would love to have you. And New Hope, um, that's coming up soon, so uh, mark your calendars. One of those two weeks, I'm leaning towards the 17th, just so it doesn't get as cold, but I'm not totally positive yet. So I will let you know, and I'll let David know too, in case anybody here is interested. Well, if you have your Bible um, this morning, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, we're not just going to be in Daniel chapter 1, we're going to be in a a couple different places, but all in the book of Daniel, all in a couple different passages in Daniel. Let's open up in prayer, and then we'll take a look at this um, this morning. Father, once again, we're thankful, Lord, for your grace. We're thankful for your power. Lord, I pray that I'd be out of the way, that you'd be in the way, Father, that it be your word that speaks to us. And Lord, again, we need the Holy Spirit to be here. We need his presence, Father. It can't be man's endeavors. Uh, Father, we can't come here in our own strength. We need to be emptied of ourselves. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us be empty, that we might be filled with the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray you'd anoint everything I say, Lord, despite all my failures, despite all my uh incapabilities, Lord, and you would just reign. I pray you'd anoint our ears and our hearts. Speak to us in a very powerful and spiritual way, Lord. Help us, encourage us, challenge us. And Lord, we look to glorify your name in how we hear and how we respond. And we're thankful, Lord, for your long-suffering to us, Word. And Lord, we just pray, Father, now that you would just work in our midst, that Jesus might be uh, elevated, that Jesus might be glorified in our hearts and in our midst. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think if anybody has been in church for any length of time and, and been for any length of time or even alive for any length of time, I think we all can agree with this fact that the landscape of America has changed quite quickly, um, spiritually specifically too. If you look back to 25 years ago, if you were in church 25 years ago, or even the spiritual climate 25 years ago, or even a little bit further, 50 years ago, compared to today, I think we'd all agree that. It's uh, and it almost changes day by day, and it, not for the better. It's, it doesn't kind of have a an decline and a decline and an incline. It kind of seems to progressively be going down. I mean, literally, 2020 has just put an exclamation point on the changes that have happened in our world, in our country, and the spiritual landscape. I mean, we don't even know what it's going to look like in 2021 going forward. If I said this, what does a Christian look like in 2021 go, and going forward... We might have some ideas, but the, the climate around us has changed. Uh, we look at the landscape of American history, that's changed. And we're living in a whole different uh, uh, country as Christians. And and think about this, never before has evil been called good and good been called evil at such a high volume than what we have right now. You understand what I'm talking about. There are things that the Bible calls sinful and the things that the Bible calls bad and evil in our world and our country has decided to redefine it and call it good. You have a whole generation of people who think they're doing good, but they're doing what the Bible would call evil. That's the environment we live in. That's the environment as Christians we're endeavoring to hold the same. See, this word never changes. This this tells us what it is and what isn't. The world doesn't like that idea. The world is defined it differently. And never has Christianity been so disdained in this country, so pushed back, so ridiculed, so criticized. And so we're coming upon an atmosphere where it's one of the most uninviting times as a Christian in in our country's history. And so we have an election coming, and we have other things that are coming, and it doesn't even matter which way that goes because America is far different than the America that you and I grew up in. And America's far different than the uh, country that some of you who are older than me grew up in. And it's going to be far different landscape. I have six kids, and they've been here the last three weeks, and I sometimes shudder thinking about what landscape, what, what environment will they be in as Christians? What will their churches look like? What will be the area they're trying to reach? And it can be somewhat scary. Now, it's not scary because God's unaware of it. He certainly is aware of everything. It isn't scary because God somehow is no longer in control because we know He is in control. When I say it's scary, I mean it'll be different. It'll be new. It'll be unknown. It'll be much more difficult. It'll be harder. So friends, don't be scared like God isn't going to work. Don't be scared because God is or something like that. And don't be scared like this has never happened. America isn't the first country that has had christianity in it before and the first country that has allowed the decline of faith and it won't be the last history has a strange way of repeating itself and this this message isn't so much about america as it's about you and i in whatever environment we're in that's hostile we are in a time when they don't want you to be the world doesn't want you to be christians If it had its way, it would shut down every church. It would outlaw everything of Christianity, if it had its way. There may have been a time years ago where even non-churchgoers would still be happy that there was the church in the area. They'd still be happy and be called maybe God-fearing people because they had the same morality or at least the same kind of mindset in some ways. And you can think about the time, and I say this to my church all the time, I remember when I was a kid, stores were closed on Sundays. And they were, and you couldn't buy uh, alcohol liquor on Sundays. And some of you remember even stricter laws than that. But I want to ask a question as we, we lead into Daniel chapter 1. What will it look like for the next generation? What will it look like for our children? What will it look like for our churches, both now and in the future of what's coming? Will churches be shut down? Will there be physical persecution? Will Christians be in prison? Will they be put to death? What does it look like? The answer is that we don't know really. All we know is what might happen. We can speculate. But none of us know except for God exactly what is going to happen. And so we come to Daniel 1 and we know that there's a time in the Bible where God's people went from complete freedom to worship. To a landscape of utter hostility towards their faith. And so we come to Daniel and we have such a case. Daniel chapter 1 opens up with the Babylonian captivity. And what that was is you had the Jews who had gotten away from God. They began to worship all kinds of other gods. And God had warned them and, and, and called them to repentance, but they didn't. And so God allowed their enemies to rise up against them. And, come in and and capture them and take them to a foreign land. He gave them, in the book of Isaiah, all of these woes. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And God was warning them that it would be a treacherous thing for them to continue in the way they were going and that they should turn back, but they didn't need the warning. So God brought the enemy in. And Babylon at the time was one of the most powerful empires in the world. And they marched in Israel and they took about every just about every able young man and young male, and brought them to a foreign soil. And King Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed the walls around Jerusalem, went in and ransacked and robbed the gold of the temple that, that Solomon had built, and destroyed it to ruin. When we come upon the book of Daniel, the men of Israel are in Babylon. They're away from the environment that was conducive, or at least allowing, to the worship of Jehovah God. They're away from their faith. They're far away from anyone who would sympathize to be a follower of God. And so what did it look like for them in this all new hostile environment? This was an environment that this was not the environment their parents grew up in. This was not where they were brought up in. They brought into they were brought to a place that hated God, hated them. And so this morning I'll ask this question, what does it look like for a Jewish person in Babylon, and I might say this, what does it look like for a Christian in Babylon, and I might say like this, what does it look like for a Christian in America going forward? Because America is to look a whole lot like Babylon, outside the church doors and sometimes inside the church doors. So look at Daniel chapter 1 verse number one the Bible says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon under Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God Uh, here's the the little description of the Babylonian captivity and the takeover where God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take the gold and the temple goods that were for him, and he allowed them to take it for their God. I mean, that was a despicable, blasphemous thing that God allowed to show forth the Jews where they were going with their worship. Look at verse 3. And the king spake unto Phinehas, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. One of the first things that um, the the babylonians did was to fight the most young promising men of israel and the king's plan was to use the jewish man for his usage and to make them strong and healthy and so we appointed them meat and drink and the same meat that the king ate and the same ale and, and wine that the king drank and we might say oh well, that sounds nice doesn't it? it sounds good when there's this provision offered to them but then we come to verse number eight and we look at what it says in verse number 8 here uh, about what, what, it, what it says. Look at here. The Bible says, The king answered and said, oh, oh that's chapter 2, sorry. Um, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the grace of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. That there's one man, Daniel, who says, "No, that's nice that this is the king's portion and that this is the king's meat, and it's nice that that it is good, but I won't eat it. I'm not going to eat what the king's eating. And I'm not going to drink what the king's drinking." And you might say, "Why not?" And Daniel says, "Because it defiled me." What does that mean? Or if you remember the Old Testament, the Jews are still under the Old Testament law and underneath the dietary restrictions. And so Daniel looked at this and realized that in the environment that he was in, he was being offered temptations that would make him wrong with God. And though it looked good, he purposed in his heart to not eat it. Remember Eve in the garden? The serpent and his, all his sly and crafty, sinful temptation came to Eve. And started to shed doubt on what God said. Hath God said? And when she saw it, she saw it was good to eat. And took and ate and gave to her husband with her. And he did also enter in the curse. Daniel was all something similar. He's probably starving. He's probably scared. And, and he looks at the portion of the king's meat and he starts to evaluate no that's not a that's not right with god and that's not right with god and he purposes in his heart and he says i will not eat this meat so what does it look like for a christian in babylon number one there's going to be the compromise of conscience in our environment in our world There's going to be a compromise of our conscience. We're speaking now to church people. We're speaking to Christians. We're speaking of what it looks like in this world. The very first thing that happened when the Jews were brought into Babylon was their conscience was attacked. And what do I mean by that? Well, they were given this temptation that they might say, well, a little bit's not going to hurt anyone. A little bit's not going to be that big of a deal. I mean, there's nothing else here anyway. And they commanded that we eat this and we're going to, you know, who cares? They try to attack the continent. The longer we live in this world, this world, you see, we have a trifecta real quick. Let me, let me. Delineate this for you. We have a trifecta working against us. Number one, you have the guy or the woman looking in the mirror at you every single day. You are a person, a a sinful person. You have a flesh, and your flesh wants to do sinful things. We wish we didn't, but we do. We have a sin nature, and even though we're saved, we have that new nature, that old nature wars against our new nature to want to get us to do the wrong things. Then we have Satan who wants to bring temptations and wants to come our way and and lead us astray and and mess up our mind and mess up our family and attack and destroy like a roaring lion seeking we may devour. Then we have this world that is an ample opportunity to do all the wrong things. So Satan loves to take the world and take Christians and try to plug them together to get us to mess up things. We have a conscience, but our conscience can easily be seared. And here are the Jewish men that are there and the the food's given to them and they're given this test to violate their conscience. This world wants to violate your conscience. The things that you know as a Christian are wrong, the world wants to water it down so you don't think it's that wrong. Because if you don't think it's that wrong, one step past that is it's not wrong at all. If we were to poll every evangelical Christian across the land, and we were to ask them clear things about the Bible, like would God call this sin? I don't even have to list them because you know the ones I'd be talking about. Would God call this sin? Would God call this sin? And there's quite a few people in evangelical Christianity who would say, I don't think so. No, no. And you'd be like, wait a second. The Bible's clear on those things. What's happened? Conscience has been seared. Conscience has been compromised. The devil's no fool. He wants Yet you messed up. Our young people with the social media and the environment are being pulled to influences that have no God worldview whatsoever in an attempt to walk down and attack their conscience so they don't make wise decisions before the Lord, so they don't hear the Holy Spirit speaking to them, so they don't carry on the values that were passed down to them from their parents and from faith that their conscience might be thwarted. Now, Daniel's smart enough to realize something's wrong here. Satan's smart enough to keep coming with the attacks. Don't you wish Satan gave up? Now, there's some truth in the fact where it says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. But that doesn't mean permanent flee, and he comes back the next day, and you've got to do it all over again therefore to God resist the devil he will flee from you we're not even talking about giant sinful things right now we're talking about the searing of our conscience the compromise of our conscience Satan wants Daniel to say no big deal but at least for now Daniel says no that's a big deal see Satan wants you to feel more and more comfortable in the world every single day he wants us to feel far less sensitive against society There are things that are legal now that some of you never thought would ever have been legal. There are things going on in churches now that churches accept and say, no, this is a good thing. We're not talking about sinful things that are gotten right. We're not talking about things that people say, no, I did that, but it was wrong. We're talking about saying, no, that's good. Churches. That no one would have ever thought would have happened in churches they would be embraced. What happened? Conscience compromised. Our children are going to have to live in a world where the vast majority of even Christians' consciences might be compromised if things don't change. And it's scary to even think about. I mean, do you ever think about this? If you had the Internet when you were a kid, how difficult that might be? I think about that all the time. Because you have endless entertainment, endless influences, endless other filth available at all times sear the conscience, to compromise the conscience. So what does the world look like 25 years from now? I have no idea. Nor could I even imagine. What I can tell you is that when the Jews came to Babylon, the first thing they were offered was something that would let their guard down, that would sear their conscience, that they would say, that's not that big a deal. The second thing I see Daniel is not only the compromise of conscience but the compromise of worship. Look down at chapter 3 now in verse number 1. I'm going to read through this pretty quick. Chapter 3 verse 1 Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 3 score cubits and breadth thereof 6 cubits and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers and the counselors the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, and the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together into the dedication of the image Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you commanded, O people, nations, and languages. That at which time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And so Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue. And he says, all my people of Babylon and all the people I've conquered and all the Jews, you are to worship this statue. And when you'll know to worship, when you hear the music play, you're to be on your face before God. I can promise you this. All those that ate the king's meat are going to have a lot easier time bowing down to the statue. All those that refused king all he who refused the king's meat is going to have a lot easier time saying no to the statue it's a progression had it been on day one they built the statue there's a chance the jews would have resisted but there was a watering down process first. first the conscience goes and the king's meat is accepted by those other than daniel and, and, and I'm, I'm assuming most of you know the story of Daniel, so Daniel doesn't eat the king's meat, and God blesses him for it, and he, and he rewards him for it. I'm not filling in all the details. I'm assuming you mostly know it. But now there's a far greater compromise, compromise of worship. And he says if you don't do it, it's not an option, you'll be killed. If I, if I said this to you, you come to church, you'll be killed. How many people be in church this morning? We have things all the time, right? We're, we're, our country's in a battle right now where certain government municipalities are saying you can't have church. And there are some people saying, yes. Some Christians saying, yes. An excuse to stay home. And then there are some Christians say I'll go to jail. I'm not here to say what you ought to be before the Lord. I'm just saying, The Jews, after they were compromised, didn't have a problem bowing down to the statue. I think there would be quite a few Christians who would have no problem if churches were outlawed. They'd never be in church again. That ought to stop us and say, oh, wait a second. Now, we all want to be like, no, not me. We all want to be like Peter. I'll never deny you. Well, we don't quite know until we get there. What did Jesus say to Peter before he went into te- before he fell into temptation, he said, "Peter, go pray, watch and pray, because uh, you know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak." He, Peter wasn't ready for the temptation. He thought he was, but he wasn't. Friend, are we ready for the coming worship? Coming, verse number eight. Wherefore, at the time certain Caldeans came near and accused the Jews. They say, Live forever. Thou, that every man shall hear the sound of the uh, the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worship that, he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. So not too long after the king set up the statue, some people come and say, Hey, hey, listen, the music has been playing, and we notice certain Jews aren't doing it. Now that tells you two things. Number one, good job for these certain young men. But it tells everybody else been doing it. We'll get more to that later. But these men did not do it and Nebuchadnezzar is angry at this. Verse 19. Bible says, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace One seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Nebuchadnezzar is so angry and his face is changed, and he heats up the furnace seven times hotter that they might be thrown into it. Why? Because they wouldn't worship the way the king wanted them to worship. Uh, It sounds mythical. It is more real today than it was in January 2020, friend. The government, the king, wants you to worship what it wants you to worship, and it's becoming less and less kind to the freedom of religion and worshiping Jesus Christ. And I don't mean worship in a religious ceremony type of way. But I mean in a genuine follower of God, worship. And what I mean is in Babylon, you don't wake up on bright sunny mornings, get dressed, grab your Bible, and head off to church skipping and singing. You may have done that today, and if that was your testimony today, praise the Lord. There might be a time not too far in the future where that's not the reality. What will you do? Going to church isn't going to look like it does today if they keep heading the way they're heading. There might not be boys and girls running around smiling. Right now, churches have signs up and websites up and they, and they draw attention to themselves. There might be a time when those signs are not up and the websites are not up because you don't want people to know where you're having church. It's heading that direction. And it wants you to bow down to worship Baal. It wants you to bow down and worship any single thing besides God. Now, trust me, even if churches are shut down, there'll be places to worship. But they may not be as obvious. The Bible says that that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we have that promise. But for the Jews, there was no temple right now. that was destroyed. And now on command, they're forced to bow down and worship the statue. And at first their conscience was violated, and now their worship is violated. And the devil doesn't care what you worship, as long as it's not God. So he's okay worshiping Sunday NFL football. He's okay with you worshiping, uh, you know, yourself or money or job. He's okay you worship at some false doctrine, church. He's okay with all those things. He doesn't want you in a Bible-preaching church, a Bible-teaching church. I can promise you that. Christians in Babylon have the threat of their worship being compromised. So not only is there a compromise of conscience and a compromise of worship, but number three, there's a compromise of numbers. Consider this for a moment. In chapter one, we saw their conscience go out the door, and out of all the Jewish young men there, now only three are bowing down. Now this is sometime later. How do we know that? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already been set over the affairs of the provinces. And we know that it was the king's idea in chapter 1 to set them to eat meat for three years before they stood before the king. It was a conditioning process. Now there's a compromise of the numbers. Where were all the other Jews? Bowing down. Bowing down. Their conscience had been seared. Their worship had been threatened. Look at chapter 3, verse 10 now. Okay, made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harbots, sultry, all of that. And verse 13, again, he goes there and enraged these three men. There are Verse 12, there are certain Jews. Every other Jewish man bowed down, worship them. So what am I getting at? Out of the thousands, or more like maybe even the millions of Jews, only one Daniel and only three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stood. Millions compromised. Millions bowed down. Where are the champions of faith? There were only a few, and less than a few. My friend, in Babylon, the number of Christians is going to be attacked. If things don't change, I can tell you the gospel preaching churches are going to have far and far less people in them, and more and more of them will be shutting their doors or turning them over to something else. Babylon's a scary place for conscience, a scary place for worship, a scary place for the numbers. As, as New Village and New Hope Baptist Church, you look around, you can't be. Wor- I mean, you can't allow what other churches are doing to affect you. You got to keep on as a God says to do. Because the numbers are going to fall. The numbers are going to fail. The numbers go in the right direction a lot. But the question is, what about you? You be in your place. You be the one that stands. You be the one that that reaches other people. You be the one that doesn't compromise. Because there's going to be a lot of temptations to compromise. There's going to be a lot of temptations to do things that you normally wouldn't do. There's going to be a lot of compromises to make church look like you would never want it to look in order to appease the masses of society. You can't make a church look like Babylon. It's got to look like Jesus. And it's a sad thing to see so many compromises, so many fall from God. In Babylon, churches look like small pockets often, not like big megachurches, unfortunately, because the numbers are compromised. Number four, I see that there's the compromise of faith. In this passage, Daniel knows he's, uh, uh, when we come later on, actually we have to jump ahead a little bit. <clears throat> Daniel 6. Daniel is taking a stand. The numbers are against him, right? So Daniel takes a stand. Like the time of Noah. Did you ever consider Noah? Noah was called a preacher of righteousness, and for 120 years he preached while building the ark in that period of time. And the Bible said that what was he preaching? He's probably preaching, get on the ark, the judgment of God's coming. And for seven days that door was opened up, and people were invited to come on in. Who who came? Noah, Noah's wife, their three kids. And their three wives. Do you ever think about this? I've said this to our church before. None of Noah's children's in-laws got on. That means their sons and his wives. where were their parents and siblings? None of them got on. They all thought it was nuts. Yet God calls Noah faithful. He had no numbers. And the numbers were compromised. But he stood, he stood firm. Jesus had 12 people. They all walked away and forsook him when, when the messages got tough and he was no longer feeding the 5,000 like that. We come to Daniel chapter 6 and we have this compromise of faith. Look at Daniel chapter 6. Now this is many years later. Daniel 6, verse 6. Bible says, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever. Now I'll give you a little bit of short context. Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon is taken over by Darius's Persia. Persian Empire takes over. You have the handwriting on the wall and all of that. So now the Persian Empire is taken over. But they took over the spoils of the Jews too. So they own the Jewish population as well here. And so these princes come to Darius, who's the king of Persia. Verse 7, all the presidents in the kingdom and governors and princes and counselors and captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute. To make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the the den of lions. These men come together and they say, we've all decided that you are the best guy in the world and you're a God king. And we want to make this 30 day decree We want to make it illegal to pray to any god but you, king. And we want to make it uh, illegal to ask anybody anything besides you, king, because you're so awesome. And if anybody does, they get thrown in the lion's den. Now I want to tell you something. They made this law for one guy, Daniel. Right? Verse number 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. This is the law of the Medes and Persians. There's no change again. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. So let me ask you a question. Did Daniel know there was a law? Yes. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went to his house. And his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Look at verse 16. Then the king commanded that they brought Daniel and cast him into the lion's den. So we have this compromise of faith where a law is made that he can't worship. Now we're not even worried about the numbers. They're gone. They make the law for the one God that's not compromised yet. The law is simple. Don't pray to anything else. Daniel, what did Daniel do when the law was made? I mean, this will help you right in the corona period too. What did Daniel do when everything got shut down? He did the same as he always did. Let me say that again. What did he do when everybody said, you can't do it? He just did. He was not trying to be rebellious. Let me talk time out real quick. Our hearts as Christians ought not be one of rebellion. It will always be order one of obedience. But our obedience to who? God first. Sometimes obeying God means disobeying government. Now that not ought to be like, uh, I ought not have the uh, mindset of I get to disobey the government and, and I get to, you know, really cause havoc there. No, that's not the right attitude. The right attitude is I'm going to obey God. And if that happens to be disobedient to the world, What did Daniel do? He went back there and just did the same as he always did. It didn't take very long for the enemy to find where Daniel was. They're not surprised. They knew this was going to happen. They're not trying to get Daniel to stop praying. They're trying to get Daniel killed because they know he won't stop praying. So they come in and they, oh, look, the door happens to be open. Oh, look, Daniel's praying they run back Darius you know you made the law you know that we can't change it because the law of the Medes and Persians we found Daniel praying and you said anyone who does gets thrown in a lion's den it's the compromise of faith it's a test of faith Daniel knows he's not allowed to pray and if he does he'll be put to death and again I ask you that question when there becomes consequences for being a Christian How many will still be a Christian? In all that that means, some of us don't pray when there's no consequence. You add pray, die, I promise you there'll be a lot of prayerless lives. Church is already empty. You put a statute of death upon going to church; it's gonna be a whole lot more empty. Compromise or die. We already got a world of Christian compromisers. Ain't going to take a whole lot more consequence to get them compromised compromise more. See, the devil figures that if he can get enough people to fear, they'll flee faith. You understand that? The devil leverages fear in our lives so we abandon faith and hold on to what's tangible. That's why you see all these taglines where there is faith, there is no fear, or where there is fear, there is no faith, or faith drives out fear. It's been a real test the last few months for many of us, hasn't it? Because we don't know what to believe half the time with statistics here and there, and what should we do, what shouldn't we do, and I'm not here to write out what you should or shouldn't do. That's between you and the Lord. But what I am saying is this, here's a universal principle of the devil. He tries to intimidate and cause you to fear so it loosens up your faith daniel right here um, can real easy feel nervous and say i don't want to die by a lion i'll just pray in my mind could have done that right i'll tell you the truth i probably would have done that i've been like you, you, some of you pray you know what i'm talking about because some of you pray like that at the restaurant you pray like this Making sure no one saw you. Why? Because you feel a little embarrassed, don't you? That's not to throw shame on you. That's just to say, right? Daniel knows on his knees. The Bible did not say you got to pray on your knees. The Bible did not say you had to pray toward Jerusalem either. But he did. Why? Because he said, I ain't letting this get in the way of my faith. This is how I worship God, and it's not stopping and they said, we're going to kill you. It's not stopping. Now we look at that, and I'll be like, Wow. Well, we know this, right? What does the Bible say? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In 1 John 4, 18, the Bible says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Christians, we're human. Do I fear? All the time. All the time. Is faith hard? Yes. If it were easy, it wouldn't be faith. There are many things in my life where I'm scared to death to step out. That's reality. And why do I tell you that? Because you need to know that that's an everyday struggle for all Christians. Nobody's got that all figured out and doesn't ever have any trepidation. We all have a little trepidation and fear. We all have, sometimes we have more fear than faith. Ashamed as it might be, that's the reality. It doesn't mean it's good, it just means it's a reality. And then Satan knows that. So he snarls and he intimidates and he attacks. And he wants you to be silent and shut it. No seriously, isn't it amazing some of the similarities that we find in Daniel and the last couple months with churches and all kinds of things. All kinds of things. All kinds of things. Because you have this compromise of faith. What will our kids have to face? So we looked at the compromise of conscience, the compromise of worship, the compromise of numbers, the compromise of faith. But here is the good news. The faithful ones make it. There are ones that do take a stand in the book of Daniel. And God uses them as instruments of His glory. And the great thing is this, that even in Jeremiah, He said, I know the plans I have for you. He didn't bring them into captivity to destroy them. He brought them into captivity to break them. So they would call on Him again, and He would draw them out of captivity to rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple, and worship God again. And he did. And they responded. So though we live in this environment that's going to attack our conscience, and it's going to water down the faith, and it's going to threaten us, and it's going to, it's going to alleviate the numbers, and it's going, to be, it's going to attack worship, try to get it all over the place, and non-existent, there will be the remnant that keeps on keeping on, that doesn't compromise. And so I want to real quick give you some application. If you're sitting here and say, listen, before the Lord, I want to be somebody who takes a stand. I want to be. And we, we, if you sung the kids' song, Dare to Be a Daniel, the old kids' Sunday school song, Dare to Be a Daniel, what does that mean? Dare to take a stand. Let me give you three helps and we'll be done. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel 1, verse 8. Bible says here, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Number one, you want to be helped. Babylon Christians must purpose in their heart to do right no matter what. That's not easy, friend in my heart I gotta do right doesn't matter what way everybody else is doing Daniel didn't even get upset what everyone else is doing he didn't even he didn't say like we don't even have that conversation he said I don't know what you're all doing this is what I'm gonna do Joshua said it like this choose you this day whom you will serve if it's the God over there need to go but if this be God then, then here. but then he said this And I'm paraphrasing. I don't know what you're all going to do. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have that hanging up in your house. I don't know about everybody else, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We need churches, and we need Christians, and we need men, and we need women. And might I say this, more than any of those, we need young people who will say, I will purpose in my heart to do right no matter what. Because that will be the only thing that turns. That's what leads to the revival. Look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Bible says here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. He said, We're not, we're not very uh, worried about what we're going to answer you because he, he sits them down and says, Why don't you guys bow down to the statue? Don't you know me? We'll throw you in the furnace. And they're like, we're not that concerned, you're not that concerned. I told you verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is, is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the gold which thou hast set out. They said, we're not careful. We're not concerned because we know God is able to protect us. And he will. But even if he doesn't, we're still not doing it. Might it be that some Christians get thrown in jail? Yep. Might it be that some Christians will be killed for the faith sometime in the future? Yep. God doesn't promise to spare you from that. But he will be with you in it. He is able to spare Sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he doesn't. The mindset, though, is what it needs to be. It don't matter because I'm still not doing it. So not only must we purpose in our hearts to do right no matter what, but number two, Babylon Christians must stay as close to God as possible. That's important. Here's what I'm saying by that. They said worship some other God. Now for you and I, you know what? If someone said, like, you know, worship this cup of water, okay, it means nothing. unless my heart was really in it. Nebuch- uh, ne- the Nebuchadnezzar said, worship that statue, put your heart in it, bow down to it, show allegiance to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, my heart with God and my relationship with God is more important than what you're saying. And I won't worship even things that are fake. We must stay as close to God as possible. Not play church. Play church is not close to God. Close to God is talking to God and worshiping God and, and coming with egg on your face every single day and saying, God, I messed up again. Forgive me. I want to do better. And serving God with fervency and sharing the gospel. It's staying close to God, crying out to him. Please, Lord, help. I'm scared today. Abba, Father, I'm nervous today. I don't know what to do today. Lord. Daniel chapter 6, verse number 19. Wish we had time to go through everything in Daniel. But Daniel 19. Oh Lord, O oh Lord. Boy, I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter. I was like, I that don't even sound familiar. Verse number 19. The, then the king arose very early in the morning. This is after Daniel had been shoved into the lion's den. The king rose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God thou service continually able to deliver thee from the lions. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths and that they have no hurt me, for as much as before him innocence is found in me, and also before thee, o king, I have done no hurt. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him, and commanded that he should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no matter of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Now, to give you a little bit of context, the king, like Daniel, he didn't want to throw him in the lion's den, but the counselors tricked him to sign the dumb law and he signed the law and couldn't get out of it and had to throw him in the lion's den so early in the morning i'm probably sure that man did not sleep that night he ran the next morning and by the way daniel's about 95 years old at this time he's not that young boy in daniel chapter one he's 95 years old and i don't know when one 95 year old that wants to get crunched up bones and you know all with the lion and yet he said that's how it's going to be and then early in the morning, the king comes and says, Daniel, are you there? And he says, I'm still here. He said, yes. I knew your God would. I knew your God would. Daniel took a stand showed forth to others. So I want to remind you this, Babylonian Christian. you got to purpose your heart to do what's right, no matter what. you got to stay as close to God as possible. And number three... Remind yourself this, God is still doing a work. Still doing a work, no matter what. What you are doing right now, during this shutdown, is leaving a legacy of faith and example to the next generation. They're all looking around saying, man, things have gotten real tough. What what, what are we supposed to do when we get older? Now, they might not be asking conscientious questions like that but they're watching you. They want to see, is your faith real? Do you really believe what you say? How important is it to you? There'll be a time down the road where some of the kids who are adults, well, our parents never went through this, but I do remember that year, 2020. And I remember what we did? example of what to do. Now, the vast majority of their friends are going to compromise. But I'm praying that some of our young people right here and in your church and in my church will be stirred in their heart to say, I'm going to do what's right. And I'm praying that some of you, like Paul said, get some older men teaching the younger men that they might teach the next younger men how to take a stand, how to maneuver through this. See, what you're doing right now matters more than you can measure because it's history in writing. And we're going to look back to 2020 and say, man, what did everyone do? People want to know this, right? Here's one of the big questions I've been asked. What did the church do during the Spanish influenza? Why do people want to know that? Because that's like the nearest thing that people can think of in a worldwide pandemic in kind of modern history. You know what was different? The doctors, as far as my studies show, the doctors and all of the authorities pushed people to the church during Spanish influenza because they, they knew they needed faith more than anything else. What's going on now? Push you away from church. There's this whole buzzword, right? Church is essential. That's just this year. There's so much more Babylonian things that will come. And our young people need to know how to take a stand. Friend, Daniel chapter 1 is a great passage to continue to revisit, to say how did he take a stand when everything around him was falling apart, when all the worship was falling apart, when there was temptations bring brought his way to compromise, when every bit of worship was somewhere else, when there were threats of life and death, when there was all, everybody that you used to worship with are all bowing down. What do I do? To be Daniel, just that—that's it. Daniel chapter one. Revisit it. Revisit three. Revisit six. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. This is not just a passage about the future. It's a passage about now, and it's not just a passage about now. It's a passage about self introspective Introspection, looking into yourself and saying, where do I fit? There's a couple things. Number one, let me ask this question: if you die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven. Now, I can't answer that question for you, only you before the Lord can. And I know we did not preach on the gospel and, and, and Jesus Christ We're not preaching on that today doesn't mean that that's not been stirred on your heart. You're here today and you say, I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you please pray for me? I won't embarrass you or call you out, but can I pray for you? Would you quietly raise your hand? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Would you please pray for me? Is there anyone like that here today? Maybe you're here here's the first part of the question. You'd say this, Pastor Jason, I probably have been compromising a little bit in my faith, I've wavered a little bit my faith. And as uh, just the acknowledgement before God, I admit that today. I've been struggling with a little bit about that. Would you quietly raise your hand? Maybe you're not used to raising your hand, but, but don't worry, you're in good company. I see many hands. I've been a little bit wavering in that. Would you pray for me? Praise the Lord. I appreciate your honesty. i am pray for you. Sometimes I'm there, friend. Let's not pretend that pastors are anything more than sinful human beings. Struggle the same. I'm there too, friend. Then let me ask this question. How many here have the desire to want to take a stand? You may not have found the strength yet, but you want the desire to. You say, that's me. I I want to be the one who takes a stand. Would you raise your hand as a testimony before the Lord? I do want to be the one who takes a stand. And I want you to contemplate this. Will you be part of the Daniel crusade in this year going forward? What does it look like? Well, we need churches to take stands. We need Christians to take stands. Even when everything else is going down the drain. Can God count on you to do it, friend? That's between you and the Lord. Let's stand to our feet, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want you to either in your seat pray. I want you to come forward and pray. Just give it over to the Lord. Maybe there's something to confess. Maybe it's just God, strengthen me, or God, I want to I serve you better. Help me. Maybe, whatever. Just do some business with God right now. Just take some time, wherever you want to do it. Be my guest. But let's take some time as the music plays, and then we'll pray, and then we'll close out in a song. Do some business with God today. Things change, don't they? You look around, don't see the people you used to see. Look out the window, don't see the world you used to see. You sometimes wonder, am I doing something wrong? Do I got to change direction? Friend, if you have the word of God, you're going in the right direction. If you're following that faithfully, you're going in the right direction. I love the old quote, people don't reject the Bible because it has contradictions. People reject the Bible because it contradicts them. The world's not accepting of the Bible. They're offended by thou shalt not kill being posted in the courthouse. As if, right? But where will you stand? I always love that passage when the Bible says, When Jesus comes and returns, will he find faith on earth? I'd like to say, Yes, sir. But I can't even answer that for me. I hope my desire is. But I know I'm like Peter. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. So watch and pray. If you'll stand. If you'll keep on keeping on, you might, you might only have five. You might only have ten. But you're going you're to pass that baton. You're going to carry a legacy as strong as Noah's. who had eight? Jesus, the great, greatest leader the world ever seen, had 12, and one of them was, was Judas. Don't worry about the numbers. Worry about faithfulness. Worry about keeping on, keeping on. Let your light so shine before men. Father, I pray, Lord, this time that you would just work in everyone's hearts. Lord, you see the hearts, you see the hands. Lord, I confess before you that I'm weak a lot. Lord, you know that. I don't need to remind you of that, but Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray, Father, that I'd be more sold out for you and more, more strengthened by you. Uh, Lord, more accepting of your strength. Lord, I want to I leave a legacy to my kids. I want to be part of the solution. I want to be more faithful to you. Lord, it's easy to compromise. It's easy to take the easy way. Help us not to, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, you'd bless each person for whatever their individual journey is, whatever their burden is. And Lord, I pray you'd raise up some leaders here at New Village, raise up some leaders at New Hope, raise up the young people, take a stand, and help us, Father, just bear one another's burdens. Help us to just restore one another, and help us to carry each other, Father, as, we, as we're carried by you. May we keep on keeping on doing what's right, no matter what the Babylon cu- culture looks like around us. And Father, we, we lift up our hearts and our voices to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.